Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Philip Koku to my Steve McLaren. It's Justin Peach. That's, uh, that strikes a bit of blow. <laughs> Are you right? <laughs> yeah, well, all things considering, yes, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, as good as you can get with everything that's going on at the moment. Well, we're joined today by Johnny Bullock from the Brewer Breakdown Podcast. Johnny, how are you feeling? Very well, mate. Very, very optimistic. Oh, I bet you are. Uh, we've also got Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Ben, are you well? Uh, mate, yes, I am considering that we've just beat top of the league. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> well, we'll get onto your game in just a sec. We'll start off with your match, Johnny, because Borough drew 0-0 with Brentford. Not the most of exciting games, but it extends Middlesbrough's unbeaten run to 10, having not lost since the opening day. You've only conceded one goal in seven games. Justin's got a stat as well. Do. Yes. So... I think 55 goals for the three top scorers have been scored. Brentford, Blackburn and Reading. And all three of those teams have only managed one shot on target against Borough. Thanks, Justin. Well, last time you were on the pod, Johnny, uh, you said you were horny for Warney. Now you must be mega horny for Warney. Mate, honest to God, um, I'm petrified now because of... Obviously, the the bet that obviously if you haven't listened, this is how I heard it before that I said if this year if we get promoted, I'll get horny for horny tattooed on my backside, and um, it's it's it can really be a possibility now. Um, we're, we're playing relatively okay, we're picking up points, and we're just doing a very Neil Warnock shit houseery performances and just getting our way up the table. It's just it's it's you love to see it really. Yeah, and in typical Neil Warnock fashion, defensively, you've been superb. McNair and Fry have been playing out their skin this season, and you've got the best defensive record in the league. Uh, going forwards, it's not as rosy. Only three teams have managed to score fewer goals than you this season. Uh, now, I can already sense the Reading fans starting a new tweet directed at me, but Borough are actually still creating chances. They're mm. just not necessarily being put away. Is that a concern? We've not been a goal-scoring team probably since Brian Robson era, to be honest. Brian Robson and, and Steve McLaren era, and, and that's back in like 2006 from behind that. So we were not used to seeing us seeing Borough score goals, to be honest. So we're kind of just, uh, we'll take each goal as it comes. But yeah, yeah, you can worry about it because you need goals to win games. And if we're not getting them, we're just drawing games, obviously, because of the solid uh, defence. But I think Warnock's aim this year is to is to get us to January, see where we are on the table. And I think we'll probably invest in some, maybe Yannick Balassi, Grzycki, maybe, or try and get another centre-forward in as well. Uh, he's been looking for that fourth centre-forward for a while now. Uh, we haven't been able to secure it, but hopefully by January time, we should be okay and get someone else in as well. And 
kick on, help us kick on, really. But I'm not particularly yeah. that worried at the minute. Yeah. Um, it's weird that um, putting away chances is a problem when you've got someone like Brit Somalonga in the team, but there you go. Uh, the unbeaten run has taken you up to seventh. And I've got to ask the question, Johnny, are the playoffs in your sights this season or maybe even more? To be honest with you, I'm, I'm so surprised that we're even in this position in the first place. I'll just take anything at the minute. Um, at the start of the season, I thought we were going to be probably the lower mid-table um, and scrapping for our lives, really, because I think the quality just wasn't there. But for what Warnock's done in the, in, in the, in the pre-season, obviously he's brought in Sam Morsey as well. He's made Anthony Dykesteel into, a, into Van Dyke really, of the championship. He's been absolutely brilliant. Um, McNair's like a Beckenbauer at the minute. Uh it's crazy what he's done with the players that we've got. Um, Warnock deserves a lot of credit. Have a look at us in January. If we can strengthen, then 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 why not playoffs? Do you know what I mean? But um, personal re- personal preference, I wouldn't like us to go up just for the tattoo side of things. But um, it'd, be, it'd be an unbelievable achievement if we even get the playoffs this year. For the tattoo side of things, I want you to get promoted this season. <laughs> uh, a quick word on Brentford, Justin. They're doing all right, aren't they? But it's just not clicking into place. Yeah, it's not quite clicking for them, as you say. And it's it's games like this where you think, okay, you're lacking a bit of individual quality that would possibly swung games like this in your favour. You know, you consider Watkins has left. I know they've put in brought in Tony, who's incredibly clinical. But at the moment, that's about it. Defensively, they they're struggling as well, um, so this clean sheet would be will be a massive plus for them. They need to build on it and get, and as we said in the week, get Pontus Janssen back in alongside Pinnock, because um, that defence still isn't that convincing for me. Um, as you say, need to need to get more out of that the the front three really. Yeah, the main concern is we saw it towards the end of last season. Whenever Brentford come up against a side who sit back, they really struggle to break them down. It's a real concern from a Brentford perspective. Uh, let's talk about your game, Ben. Reading nil, Stoke three. Reading's third straight loss after a terrific start to the season. But as our resident Stoke fan, Ben, you were quite lucky in this game, weren't you? Um, maybe. I mean, from an individual game point of view, perhaps. But I don't think any Reading fan could say that they were unlucky considering the season that they've had. We were only doing what they've been doing the entire season, really. Um, we let them have more possession, which is their game. Um, and we just pressed them. They made mistakes. And we capitalised on every single one. Yes, Fair enough. They did make three possibly really big mistakes for the goal, the goalkeeper, the centre-back, and then the one right at the end where the pass-back was just too short. But then we did exactly the same against Watford, and we had two goals that should have been disallowed. The third one should just never happen anyway with a pass-back from Danny Bart for the penalty. We were good. I thought we were good. I thought we defended very well, as we have been doing all season on the whole. Um, circumstances, yes, lucky it. In the, in the goals themselves, but we were clinical. And like I say, considering the start that Reading have had, they can't really complain that someone's actually beat them at their own game, perhaps. Ben, I am going to make no comment on that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, Tyrese Campbell got uh, one of the goals and he also hit the post. Only three players have contributed to more goals than him this season. And he's starting to show how good a player is, isn't he? Yeah, um, I think I said on Twitter, Tyrese Campbell is a very naughty boy, I think is the way that I like to describe him. He, oh, he's, he's just so clever and so confident for a 20-year-old. And, you know, five assists this season for a striker playing on the right wing, I think is incredible. Two against Brentford, the crosses were fantastic for those. Three goals and it could be more really, you know, you, you said he hit the post, he did exactly the same the other week. 
where he hit the post, sort of cutting in from the uh, the right hand side, and just he's he's so good. He's he's one of a number of good young players at Stoke, and that's what's exciting. It's not just him where we might have a fear of losing him. Perhaps this this time last year we did have a fear of losing him if it wasn't for a certain managerial change. Um, but he's he's so good for a twenty year old. He's too good, perhaps, for us. And I'm wondering at the end of the season, even maybe in the winter, if someone's going to look at Tyrese Campbell and go, you know what? He's exactly what we need up front. He's one hell of a player. Uh, today marks a full year since Michael O'Neill was appointed a Stoke manager. How would you sum up the job he's done in that time? Um, he's done the job that he said he was going to do. And he's the first manager in five to have possibly gone through with what he said he was going to do. Nathan Jones is perhaps the best example where he spoke ever so well. He talked about a, a, a new culture at Stoke that he wanted. And it was the right culture, but he never executed that. But maybe because Stoke was just a sinking ship at that point and his ambitions were too soon, considering that we were so, so bad. You've seen that we were bottom of the league this time last year by some distance. Michael O'Neill looked at what we had and worked with it. And he goes, you know what? You guys are good players go out there and I trust you to go and prove that to other people. Go and be those good players that I know you are. You don't need a stupid system like a diamond. Don't be wrong. I was a big fan of Nathan Jones's diamond in concept, but it, it didn't work for the players we had. And he's, he's just put players in the right positions. That sounds daft, but it does mean a lot. Nine clean sheets this season. I mean, we've only played a handful of games and He's got a 48% win ratio, I think, which for Stoke is is unheard of. I I wonder whether in a couple of years we're not going to sack Michael O'Neill. He's going to leave to something better because if we don't get promoted with him, he he's definitely Premier League bound. Yeah, that's big praise. Justin, for Reading, three straight losses, 11 goals conceded in four games. I've given them plenty of stick for not performing as well as their results suggest. But do you think they can turn around this current run of form? I do, yeah. You look at the players that they've they've had out injured, they're desperate to get them back. Liam Moore, especially. Um, Gibson and McIntyre at centre-half haven't been the best. They've not convinced me at all. McIntyre was, to be quite short, terrible in the midweek and Gibson wasn't too too much better yesterday. And Morrison looks a lot better alongside Moore because of how good Moore is on the ball. Um, but when you consider they're creating more chances now than they have been all season, um, it's, a, it's a weird position to be in. You know, they've created more in the last three defeats than they have done in the previous three wins. That's 15 shots on target altogether, forcing five saves from goalkeepers in each of those games. They're testing the goalkeepers and they've still got attacking players like Ajaria, Swift uh, and Mete to come in as well. So for me, this this team, you know, a bit of a false position in some sense that they have been lucky, but also they've been unlucky over the last three games for me. Yeah, you mentioned Lewis Gibson there. I will be honest, I laughed a lot at the, at the final goal for Stoke. Reading. <laughs> Um, he, he gave the ball away. Jacob Brown scored. Gibson tried to block it with a slide. Didn't. Ended up flying into the post. It was very funny. Ben, Johnny, thanks for now. We'll speak to you again both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to take you round the grounds and we'll start off with the seven-side derby between Bristol City and Cardiff, which Bristol City won 1-0. Tom Phillips is from the Cardiff podcast View from the Ninian. A rather frustrating result, Tom. Yeah, extremely frustrating to concede that early after we, we've been doing it for weeks, conceding really early in games and against Barnsley, we finally started a game well and then straight back to old habits against Bristol. And then we just 
battered them for the rest of the game, but without scoring. Like Kiefer Moore, who's normally quite assured in front of goal, missed a few clear-cut chances. We put something like 32 crosses into the box, which we've been crying out for, and we just didn't capitalise. And, you know, to do that against your near neighbours as well um, was really frustrating to watch. You know, it's a better performance overall, um, which we're all crying out for. But, you know, to lose at home to Bristol City uh, after creating that many chances is extremely frustrating. Yeah, Tom, I keep expecting Cardiff to get going eventually, but every time they put in a positive result, it doesn't get followed up on. Are you expecting the results to turn soon? Yeah, it keeps coming across like we've turned a corner. You know, the the Barnsley result, comfortable home win, and we never looked like losing that game. And we're just crying out for a back-to-back performance. I don't think we've won back. I don't think we've had back-to-back wins all season, and we're just sitting here waiting for it to click, and it's just not clicking. I think there's only so long you can do that for. Um, perhaps we think we're a better side than we are, and we're, we're destined for mid-table. But you look at the team, and it looks like we've got quality there, but it's just not happening at the moment. And we really need to string well at the moment two games together, but we need a bit of a run, you know, four or five wins to get us going. And I just can't see it happening at the moment if we keep, especially because we keep starting games so, so poorly. We, we're setting ourselves a mountain each game we play. Yeah, I'm seeing a few Cardiff fans quite frustrated with Neil Harris on social media. Would you say he's under pressure? He's under a huge amount of pressure at the moment. Um, I think it's a little bit soon to start calling for his head or anything like that. But I think you think you've got to look closer to the players at the moment because for 85 minutes of that game, we were set up perfectly. You know, we we um, we created chances. We just didn't capitalise. But it's just we're starting games so slow, and I think there's only so much you can point towards the manager. I think the players are going to take a bit of responsibility here and just get, start games more positively, like from the outset and just get going. Perhaps it's Harris's fault for not, you know, inspiring them in the change rooms before they set foot in that field. But I, I think, I think we've got to stop blaming the manager and look at the players for a bit. And Tom, just one clean sheet in six games, which is quite surprising for Cardiff, considering they were defensively stable post-lockdown. Is that a concern for you? Yeah, we're a team that relies on clean sheets and being solid at the back as a base and then building from there. And it's just, it's not really happening at the moment. We're not conceding like a barrage of goals in each game. It's one here and there. But, you know, the lack of clean sheets is worrying, especially when we're creating chances and not capitalising. So... I can't carry on like this. I think we need to we need to be a little bit more solid from the back from the first whistle, but we need to start taking our chances up top as well. And like I said earlier, we, we're, we're waiting for it to click and with more and like Glatzel getting a bit of game time and the creative influence of Harry Wilson, perhaps we will in the next few weeks, but we're running out of time really and we, we're going to find ourselves too far adrift to even make a playoff push at this moment. Cheers, Tom. Yeah, a lot of frustration around the Cardiff City Stadium at the moment. They just can't get going, can they, Justin? No, it's it's. I mean, I thought they'd build on midweek. You know, the three nil win is against Barnsley looked looked a, a bit of a change for Cardiff. They they look really good going forward, um, and you know perhaps a tad unlucky here against Bristol City, who are quite tough to break down, quite tough to get get ahead of. Um, but they're still giving away chances. They're still giving teams chances to to go in front, and it's it's not good enough for a team looking to get into the top six. No, not at all. Bristol City just in two wins in two after a run of five games without a win. They're still streaky. <laughs> you, you could argue that. And um, I'm surprised that they were fifth because, you know, obviously with the, the, the consecutive defeats they, they had or 
relatively poor run of form. I thought they'd drop further down, but you know they're, they're back up to fifth, just two points off Reading, and um, who are top of the league at the moment. Now's a time to start to capitalise on teams because you're seeing the likes of Norwich, Bournemouth, Watford, even Swansea as well starting to pick up consistent runs of form. I know yeah, Swansea lost today, uh, sorry yesterday, um, but it's a good place to be solidifying yourself in that top six. Mm. How does it feel for you as a Derby fan when you see Chris Martin getting on the score sheet for another club? Is it like a ex-girlfriend getting a house with her new boyfriend? Not quite like that. It's probably worse. <laughs> it's probably even sorer. It's like it's, your heart just breaks. Knowing how badly we are and how badly we need him, it genuinely your heart tears in two. Well, we'll get on to Derby in just a sec, Justin. <laughs> I just wanted to give a bit of praise to Dean Holden because you've got to love him as a manager. His passion for Bristol City... It's clear to see. And his celebrations after the final whistle were great. He's a really likeable bloke, isn't he? And I don't think I've seen too many managers who clearly want to succeed as much as he does. And I hope he does well at Bristol City. And if there's one thing he's done so far, it's bring the club together. Yeah. And not too long ago, it was quite divided, wasn't it? Over the way mm. things were heading. The fans weren't too keen on him being appointed, but they're right behind him now. The players clearly love playing for him. So well done, Dean Holden. Keep on going, son. One place where things aren't so rosy right now is Derby County. They lost again, this time 2-0 to Barnsley. Joining us from the Second Tier podcast is Derby fan Justin Peach. Justin, hello. Good afternoon. It seems like this is the end for Philip Koku. Yes, yes, quite right. Um, I feel sorry for him. Um, I really do, because I think he's had it. He's had it. He's had it really badly, um, and I don't think the players that he's got uh, are capable of playing the way he wants. But on the flip side, he should be moulding the team, or he should be coming down, not coming down to their level, I guess, um, and and making it easy for them to play in a system that suits them rather than forcing them playing a system that suits him um, and that's the downfall really and I don't think it's the results that's the issue for, well the results are an issue for Derby but it's the lack of lack of anything going forward um, I think I th- I think I could pose a, a bigger threat in the final third than any of that Derby attack and firstly I play uh, as a defender and I also have a gammy knee that's no disgrace to your attacking abilities, though. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is the majority of Derby fans I'm seeing on social media are already acting like Philip Koku is gone, which says a lot about how much people are expecting him to be sacked over the international break. The game itself kind of sums up Derby's season so far, doesn't it? Because it was pretty woeful. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible, completely abject. And uh, if I'm being really honest, as a, as a passionate supporter, the players should be absolutely ashamed um, because it really was terrible. Um, and you know, no disrespect to Barnsley, but these are the teams that you've got to be getting getting wins against because they're going to be down there with you. And unfortunately, Barnsley looked Barnsley looked like prime Liverpool against Derby with their press at times. And that's 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 more so that's more so um, a disrespect to Derby than it would be to, to Barnsley, to be honest with you. Percentage-wise, if you had to do a ratio for how much you blame the players and how much you blame Philip Koku, how much do you lay at the door of the players? Because this is a very talented squad, isn't it? And for this for this side to be bottom after eleven games, it's embarrassing, isn't it? It is embarrassing, and 
again, there's no arrogance here. Derby are a big football club. For them to be down there, same with Sheffield Wednesday, really. For them to be down there and in this position, and Forrest as well, it isn't good enough for the clubs of their sizes and the ambitions that they have. Um, but if you're going to say, if you're going to lay blame anywhere, it's, it's firstly, it's got to be down to the players. They have to perform. They're not performing. And then you've got to look to the manager to see, you know, what are you doing to, to change this? Well, not doing much essentially. You know, they changed the formation uh, midweek. They lost. Went back to a three at the back this week. Started to go well. Changed at half time, and they didn't look anywhere near as good second half. Um, so for me, it's it's split fifty fifty. I don't think all the blame should be laid at Koku, but the players have got to. You've got to ask questions of players. Okay. Final question on Dar before we move on, Justin. If or rather, when Koku is sacked, who do you want to get in? Uh, I mean, I spoke on the local radio on Friday night. I think it should be Jody Morris. Uh, he's, he's a talented coach. Sure, might raise eyebrows, but he's, he's a talented coach. Got experience with young players. Got got a history of Derby, as we know, for a season as assistant manager. It's the right pick for me. It's left field. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, I think Derby will want a manager who ticks three boxes. One is knows the championship, knows how to get out of it. Uh, the other has experience in developing young players and finally plays entertaining attacking football. The only man I can think of is Eddie Howe. I think he would be perfect for Derby. And if he goes there, then suddenly it gives the whole club a boost because he is a top manager. Everyone knows it. Uh, whether he'd go, I'm not 100% sure. Um, if only Derby had a new owner with very, very deep pockets. <laughs> More on that later, Justin. Uh, just quickly, we go, we've got to mention Barnsley, who eased past Derby here, didn't they? Valerie and Ishmael, three wins out of four. He's got things ticking along nicely, hasn't he? He has, and I think you know, watching Barnsley in full, it was a pleasure at times because their press is <laughs> really impressive. Um, it, it, it is. Um, their work off the ball is ridiculous. That's the foundations from Struber, I think, and obviously Stendhal before him. You can see the club going in one direction. They've got a, a really good young group of players. You looked at um, Adarabai. Is Adarabai came on? His finish was exquisite. Um, there, there's, a, there's a really good group of players here, and you know, with that style of play, it suits them down to the core. Yeah, definitely. You know how we had the Struber train at the start of the season, but that <laughs> derailed very quickly. I think we need something for value in Ishmael. I'm thinking like the Israel, I can't even say it, Ismail submarine. And I say that because it's moving along slow, it's moving along very smoothly, going under the radar. They've climbed up to 16th now, Justin. They're in the bottom three not long ago. Ismail submarine, you a fan of that? No, let's let's move on past these vehicle analogies. I'm it's not worked out it. for us yet. We'll, we'll be back on it in, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, one side who's doing their best to get out of the bottom three is Wickham. Their unbeaten run of three games came to an end after losing 2-0 to Forrest. Lyle Taylor getting both of the goals. Phil Catchpole is from the Wickham podcast, Ringing the Blues. Phil, despite the loss, you must be feeling rather positive about the way things are going. Yep, it is a positive place, um, not just because of the results of late, but uh, it's generally a positive place anyway. Gareth Fainsworth uh, is a very positive man and he puts that right the way through the club and the squad. Uh, the results have helped, of course, um, but they've been coming because the performances have been good and I think the positivity has really kept everyone going. I think the mental strength for the squad is so important that if they weren't as strong as they were mentally then perhaps they could have got into real problems after losing the first seven games but they've always believed and uh, I think that's what's made the difference uh, unlucky to lose yesterday in, in, a, in a little bit of ways as well really I think if Akin Fenn were played uh, they might have been able to extend that unbeaten run to four games but seven points um, before this international break from where they were is pretty good so yeah positive all round 
Yeah, and that togetherness and positivity is going to be key for Wickham having any chance of staying up this season, isn't it? I said this in midweek that when Wickham score, the players celebrate like it's a bunch of lads who have just scored in a kickabout. Uh, as a fan, how great is it to see that the players are all in, the, in this together? It's brilliant to see the, the players like this, um, but the whole club is, to be honest, from top to bottom. And you know, one of the best things that Gareth Ainsworth has done in his long time at Wickham Wanderers is, is bring the club together and, more importantly, bring the players and the fans closer together. There's a real bond there. And to be a Wickham player, to get through the door now as a, as a new Wickham player, you kind of have to fit in. And I think that's really evident in, in what you see uh, as a neutral when you see them celebrate, when you see them lose together, win together. Um, that's why the, the unity is so strong. Um, they look for character, I think, before footballing ability sometimes. And, and I think that's really important. And when things go bad, that's important and that brings them through. And, you know, when the celebrations at Wembley were just next level because of, of that unity as well. Looking at the playing side of things, and Wickham seem at their most dangerous from set pieces, and that's in no short part down to Joe Jacobson, who's taken them. He has got a superb left foot, hasn't he? Yeah, Jacobson has been fantastic for Wickham for many seasons now, and it's great to see a player go from League Two to League One into Championship and he's putting in some fantastic performances this season at both ends of the pitch. I think a lot of people thought he didn't have the pace uh, or he'd be exposed at Championship level but he's really uh, defended well as well of late and his set-piece delivery is, as you said, fantastic especially from corners and uh, he's a very reliable player for Wickham Wanderers. Uh, the left foot of Jacobson to the head of Akin Fenwar has long been a route to goal for Wickham and long may that continue. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to see him doing well in a championship. 14 years it took him to get back there after a handful of appearances, uh, I think, for Cardiff. Um, so yeah, good to see him up there and operating at this level. And Phil, I'm constantly seeing fans of other clubs on social media who instantly assume playing Wickham is three points for them. Uh, what is your message to any fans who have got Wickham coming up soon? Yeah, keep underestimating Wickham because it makes makes us stronger, to be honest. It's happened in all the divisions. So, um, yeah, keep keep thinking it's going to be easy because, I don't know, even Forrest, speak to Forrest yesterday because that was a hard-fought victory for them. Um, and Wickham are competing now after the first four or five games where it took them to really get their head around the championship and get key players back and, and fit and getting their head into the championship. So Wickham are competing. So, you know, they might not win many games, but... It's going to be tough, whoever they play against. So, yeah, keep underestimating, underestimating them because, you know, I think Gareth Ainsworth uses that uh, to keep the spirit going and, and to prove people wrong. And uh, so, yeah, it's not unusual. It's been going on for seasons and uh, it will continue in the championship, no doubt, and probably a bit louder. But, yeah, we can use it to fire them up. Keep it going. Cheers, Phil. Yeah, a lot of positivity coming out of the Wickham camp despite this loss to Forest, who look like they're just starting to get going now, don't they? Two wins in two. Yeah, and it was it was a better performance. They're still giving too many chances away for me, but I think going forward, that's more like it, isn't it? Um, you look at Lyle Taylor, for example, putting a complete forwards performance, came deep, he was great with the ball, his second goal showed that, drifted into wide areas, and he, and he, he backed two goals. That's four and four for him now, and that's what Forrest are after. It's, that's what they need. And you know, As I said, they created uh, a lot of openings, they got into better positions, Cyrus Christie looked good on the underlap as well as the overlap and it looked like a team that was hungry to get forward and exploit the space so yeah it's definitely a step in the right direction for Forrest and starting to move yeah in the right direction yeah Taylor had a great game as you mentioned he 
the four goals in five games that he's now got is more than Lewis Graben managed in his last 16 games. Um, and I do look at the signing of Taylor Justin and think to myself that he could end up being the signing of the season. Forrest, as we all know, fell away from the playoffs towards the end of last season. And when that happened, Lewis Graben was really struggling to score. I know it's not completely down to him not having his shooting boots on, but it certainly didn't help. But having a quality alternative like Lyle Taylor makes a world of difference because we're now seeing the player who was so good for Charlton last season. He's a clinical finisher at this level, maybe even the most clinical in the division, you could argue. If the likes of Lolly, Nokia and Freeman keep consistently creating chances for him, then he will score the goals to take Forrest to the upper end of the table because despite the bad start, the playoffs is still very much a possibility for them this season. I've got no doubt about that. Uh, let's go to Bournemouth. They bounced back from a surprise midweek defeat to Sheffield Wednesday by beating Birmingham 3-1. David Brooks getting two of the goals. Mark Dean is from the Cherries Trust. Mark, what did you make of the game yesterday? I thought we um, played very well yesterday. Um, Dan Juma, uh, fantastic finish. Set us on our way. And it was really good to see uh, Dave Brooks back. A couple of good goals there. Uh, pretty good performance, actually. I was quite happy. Yeah, Mark, the thing we've been saying on the podcast recently is that this Bournemouth squad has got enormous quality, hasn't it? The likes of Brooks, Danjuma, King, uh, that's only in attack or in defence. You've also got the likes of Mepham, Kelly, Stacey. These are all really good players at this level. And Bournemouth's quality should shine through eventually. Do you agree? Um, I would like to hope so, for definite. With um, the quality we do have within the team... There's some really good, really good players in there. Chris Meppen was bought uh, from uh, Brentford for a reason because at the time he was the best defender in the championship. Lloyd Kelly bought in from Bristol City again because he was one of the best defenders for his position in the league and Liverpool were really, really showing their face on that one as well. Um, we were very lucky to get him. So we've got some really good quality throughout the team and it'd be really good to uh, see the lads gel together slightly more. Um, they're still getting there, but I think they'll achieve it. And Mark, what's the general vibe around the fan base regarding Jason Tindall? Uh, Bournemouth were unbeaten until midweek, um, but there were a lot of draws in there as well, it's worth pointing out. But what do the fans think? Do they think he's the man to take them back to the Premier League? I think Jason's done quite well so far. Um, too many draws, some people may say, but they weren't defeats. Fan groups have been pretty quiet over the subject, if I'm honest. A few people are upset with the 3-5-2 formation, a lot happy with the 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. Um, personally, I think Jason's doing okay. He's uh, steadied the ship very, very quickly after a dismal season last year. Thank you, Mark. Mark Dean from the Cherries Trust there. Jason Tyndall will be very happy with what he's seen from his players, won't he, Justin? Yep, it's, it's been a, a, you know, a nice turnaround for Bournemouth. Again, had a run of mixed results, you know, quite a few draws and obviously they defeat in midweek. But this is the way to bounce back. When you're coming up against a stubborn team, you've got to have good players to, to break it down. And they did that. David Brooks was, was good again. And Slanky's link-up play around the area is really good to watch. They went back to a four four two, which I think is you know it was their bread and butter for six years under Eddie Howe, pretty much, and um, perhaps that's the blueprint um, going forward for now, uh, now players coming back from injury. 
Yeah, Dan Juma as well looked very impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but David Brooks getting his first couple of goals, I think, is very important because, as me and Mark were just saying, I feel if he gets going, then he could be unstoppable in the championship. In fact, the three relegated sides all have three players capable of doing that. Brooks with Bournemouth, Saar at Watford, Brendier at Norwich. They're three players who could cut it in the top half of the Premier League, really, couldn't they? Yeah, um, definitely. It's just about, it's just about getting, the, getting the full extent of their powers. Uh, a quick update on Jason Tindall's attire on the touchline. I've tracked down footage and he wears this black polo with black trackies. No further signs of any white T-shirts with black trackies. What are your thoughts on that, Justin? It was... Yeah, I think uh, you know I brought it up last week, and it was just the the the, the long. I think it was a long sleeve polo uh, along with some trackies. I wasn't a fan of. Quite bizarre, mm. um, and I don't know if it was a short sleeve polo this week. That's maybe more acceptable than a long sleeve polo. I don't know. That's another debate for another day. I think. Yeah, I'm quite impressed by his hair. It's very uh, grease lightning esque. It's very impressive. Uh, but from a Birmingham perspective, they were beaten by a better side. Don't think there's too many arguments around that, was there? No, I, th- I thought they were poor. They got into good positions, but they were just unable to punish Bournemouth. Ten of their shots came in the box, for example. They need to be sharper in front of goal if they're going to have any ambitions of reaching the, the you know the upper echelons of the, of the table. They're not going to get near it if they're, they're as blunt as they have been all season. The top scorers are Gary Gardner and Jeremy Bella, for example, and they've got two each. Um, and it's not great when you know you've got Scott Hogan and Lukas Jukovic on the books. Yeah, Scott Hogan got his first goal yesterday he's been having a pretty tough time uh, this season right let's have a break Justin after that we'll talk about Blackburn Norwich and Watford It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Right, Blackburn got back to their winning ways with a 3-1 victory over QPR. It comes after an October where they only managed to get one win. Uh, Ryan Hildred is from Rovers Chat. So what was so different yesterday for Blackburn, Ryan? there were two things really um the first is the personnel who we had available yesterday um we had three big players back for us forming the spine of the team um thomas kaminsky in goal uh who just seems to be a bit of a diamond of a goalkeeper for us big physical presence you don't mess with him great shot stopper and just instills a lot of confidence into our back line uh bradley johnson was back yesterday who again is just another physical presence experienced player at this level and we just looked a bit more balanced in midfield as a result um and then adam armstrong of course in yesterday's game was back after his hamstring tweak in the game before so having those three players in the spine does make the difference and you could just see from the first minute really we we just looked more confident our fullbacks were getting forward joe rothwell was driving forward you could just tell it was a performance where we felt more confident than those previous games that you mentioned 
Yeah, we mentioned Blackburn's unavailability list in midweeks. I think there were about 11 players on there. It was massive. Uh, but most of those players should be back after the international break. Then looking further afield, you've got the likes of Bradley Dack and Lewis Travis hopefully coming back as well. So when you have a full fit squad, do you think this Blackburn squad could be quite a force in the championship? I don't want to use the injuries too much of an excuse because I think everyone's going to have to cope with it this season with the games coming thick and fast and certainly this next batch after the international break, it's 12 games before the 2nd of January. So I think everyone's going to have to cope with it. I think the big thing for us, it's it's those who are missing that is the big issue. So Bradley Dack and Lewis Travis, you know, our two best players really with Adam Armstrong. And when you haven't got those players available, it does make a difference. So if you've got eight or nine missing, but you've still got Bradley Dack, Lewis Travis available, it's just a better all-round situation for you, isn't it? So if we get those players back and if we can somehow just maybe have four or five unavailable rather than nine, 10, 11, like it's been, then then absolutely. I think the universal view in the Rovers fans is that we will be a dangerous side when we've got that good spine with with those players like Rothwell, Elliot, Brereton, or buzzing around the likes of, of Bradley Dack and Adam Armstrong. When I've watched Blackburn this season, they play attractive, exciting, attacking football. Uh, but that's not something you usually associate with a Tony Mowbray side. So do you think he has a bit of an unfair reputation? I think the reason he's probably got that reputation is as a player, he was a brute of a centre-half, wasn't he? And part of some very good defensive uh, units at, at Middlesbrough and then Ipswich in the latter of his career. And he is just a lovely northern bloke. So maybe that perception is there of him. But if you were to talk to Coventry fans, West Brom fans, Celtic fans, and then uh, Rovers fans this season in particular, uh, I think the possession-based footballing game is is what you do associate with Mowbray as a manager. And um, um, so I think, yeah, it, it is an unfair reputation because actually the formation we've been playing this season, the players that he's brought into our club, the fact he seems to sign midfielders and, and forward players rather than defenders for Rovers is pointing to the fact that this manager wants to play football and we are playing some lovely stuff and, and dominating possession. The issue for Rovers this season, ironically, even with the goals that we've scored, is we haven't been clinical enough. Um, games like Watford away where we've dominated at times, um, we're not winning those games. That's the thing that Mowbray needs to solve um, and then we become really dangerous. And finally, Ryan, Stuart Downing's back. He was one of your best players last season, but has only just been re-signed. Uh, give us a bit of an overview about what's happened there. Yeah, he was brilliant last season. Um, third in our player of the season vote and um, contributed way more than I think anyone was expecting with uh, with the assists in particular and the way that, that he contributed to our side. Um, I think a deal was drawn up in principle for him to stay um, and then COVID and just an assessment of the budgets really hit hard and, and Rovers really had to consider what they wanted to do in in the transfer market. So um, the budget was obviously favoured on the likes of getting Harvey Elliott on loan and uh, Tom Tribal, players like that. So the budget went there and then I think Mowbray was just able to squeeze the last bit of budget out of Venkies, um, you know, towards the uh, the end of last month. And and that led to the deal being signed. So it was always there in principle. It was just a case of the budgets um, needing to stack up. And, and Downing always wanted it to happen. Mowbray always wanted it to happen. So it was just a case of it waiting in the background until it could. And, and we're delighted to have him back because he's a great experienced pro to have and will be a real good influence on our younger players. 
Cheers, Ryan. Yep, a much-needed win for Blackburn, who I think could be quite good uh, when they have more of their players back, Justin. But QPR gave them a good game here, didn't they? They did, and um, you know they 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 had to because Blackburn is so dangerous, but they they can be exploited defensively. You know they went through a bit of a period of being quite resolute, but QPR have got it in attack. I just want them to get a little bit more out of the likes of Lyndon Dykes. He's a big player, and we saw him midweek. Didn't really get too many balls into the box, and you know QPR have got some talented wide players. So it's just about just about doing more of that, getting the ball into the to likes of Dykes, uh, and get and bringing other players into the game, and um, just another point on Lyndon Dykes. That's how you take a penalty. Yeah, I saw no, that and thought that is one hell of a penalty. No shitey Penenkas, just leather it. He nearly took the bloody net off, didn't he? The noise of the net was so satisfying. Oh, it was so good. Uh, but QPR, I found them to be a bit of a funny side because they're one of the few who, as we go into this international break, we're still trying to figure out where they are and what mm-hmm. they are. Parts of me says they could be in a relegation battle this season, but another part says they're better than that. It's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, there'll, there'll definitely be three teams worse than QPR because of the talent mm-hmm. they've got uh, on the books. But I think I think they're a team that will get better throughout the season. There's a big turnover of players when we like sort of think about it in the summer. You know, they lost some key players, brought in some players to replace them. It's just about bedding them in, getting them going, playing the style that Warburton wants them to play. So they're a team for me that are going to get better and are going to prove improve over time. That's fair. Uh, Norwich won, Swansea nil. The Swans versus the Canaries, Justin. Would you rather fight 10 Canaries or one Swan? 10 Canaries all day. Swans are terrifying. Yeah, but 10 Canaries? It's quite a lot. They're, they're just, they're tiny birds. I don't, I'm not a, a, a birdologist. What is the right one? I don't know. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but you think 10 Canaries take them easily? Definitely, yeah. Swans are too aggressive. I wouldn't go near one. Fair enough. Uh, quite a good game, this one, between two yeah. top sides. But Swansea will be wondering how they've come out of this game without nothing, won't they? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, both teams going for the win, which is what you want to see when teams are at the top of the table. There's no sitting back here at all. I don't know how it's. I don't know how the game stayed quite quite a low score with the chances that Swansea had, and obviously Norwich um, did as well. But one man I want to point out is Andre Ayew. He was a man possessed. Um, against against um, Norwich, and it was so unfortunate to win a losing team. You know, he completed eleven dribbles, had six shots, you know, five headers, which was the most in the game. On five headers, um, it's clear that his quality stands out in that Swansea team. But is there an over reliance on him? Potentially, um, the club needs to bring in another body to reduce the the workload and and that reliance on him. Yeah, AU is quality. He is real quality. But you were saying you don't know how Swansea didn't score. I'll tell you how. Tim Krul. Norwich were relying heavily on his brilliance yesterday. He was outstanding and he was rolling back the years. Best keeper in the league for you? I think so. Am I right in saying that he's the only keeper in the league playing top level international football? Because he's been called up to the Dutch team recently again. So, For for, for one of the top sides, he must be. But he is top class, isn't he? We saw it last season when they were in the Premier League, how good he is um, do you remember do you remember when he was at Newcastle and he's winning them points on his own mm-hmm. he's back at those levels again yeah. so so good uh, I do have my question marks around Norwich defensively because even though only two sides have let in fewer goals than them they concede quite a few chances 
and it's something Daniel Farker's side needs to work on but they often get away with it just because of how good Tim Krull is between the sticks. Some of the saves he pulls off are almost superhuman, as we saw yesterday with Swansea. Uh, but anyway, Swansea will be very disappointed. Still going strong, first loss in six games, and this performance does not put me off thinking they can challenge for the top two this season. Watford made it two wins in two by beating Coventry 3-2. Great game this. Well, the second half was um, all five goals coming uh, in the second period. The highlight of the game, though, was Gustavo Hammer scoring a 25-yard header. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was like a Hammerhead shark, wasn't it? That is... No, I'm not even going to acknowledge that. Um, But Ben Foster will have a few question marks over what he was doing with that. It seems like he just completely misjudged it, didn't he? I mean, it's it's not very often you... You get done by a header from 25 yards out. I think he might have just been surprised by the flight of the ball. I was. It, you know, at no point did I think that's going to go in. And then, lo and behold, it <laughs> Foster's scrambling and it's in the back of the net. Yeah. Uh, Coventry actually impressed me here. Brilliant finish as well from Tyler Walker. His first goal for the club. There's mm-hmm. plenty of positives for Mark Robbins after a tough start. Uh, Watford manager Vladimir Ivic wasn't happy with the performance, especially defensively. They've conceded four goals in two games this week. Before that, they'd only conceded five all season. Nonetheless, they sit second in the championship, just one point behind Reading. Now, this was a result that would have ruined a few accumulators, Justin, including mine. Wotherham 2, Preston 1. Alex Neal called this performance rubbish, and he wasn't wrong, was he? No, it was rubbish, and um, yeah, Preston will be disappointed because we said in midweek they turned into prime Barcelona away from home, and there were nothing anywhere near that. Rotherham deserved the win here, and yeah, Preston, it's just it's just frustrating with Preston because you look at the team, it's, it's a good side, but they should be doing better. Yeah, 2-1 actually flatters Preston, really, because they've got to got beaten by more here. The front three of Potts, Jakobsen and Sinclair just did not get going. Um, We have been harping on massively about Preston's away form, and this was their first away loss. But if their away form starts to fade and they can't sort out their home form, which, as we mentioned previously, is a bit dodgy, uh, then it could be a long old season for them. One to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Rather than boss Paul Warren, though, will be buzzing with this, just what they needed, just before the international break, wasn't it? Yeah, big win, and obviously it comes off the back of a, a couple of defeats as well after a good win against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and they needed to they needed to produce the goods going forward as well because obviously they failed to score in the, the previous two games. Um, so that that performance there from from Rotherham will fill Paul Warren and the team and 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 the fans with a lot of confidence. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Huddersfield won, Luton won. Not a great game, this. Very few chances. Huddersfield goal came from Carol Eiting, who scored a header, which looked to be in slow motion. It was very weird. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Wednesday nil, Millwall nil. Another game that wasn't one for the end-of-season highlight reel. Uh, the best bit was Gary Rowett trying to fight the whole Wednesday squad. Um, he was a bit annoyed after Josh Windass gave him a bit of stick during the game. Does Gary not remember who Josh's dad is? Ah, uh, well... That, that might be a case, but I, I'd back Gary Rowett in any fight. He's, he seems like a man who could handle himself. What, even against Dean Windass? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, hang on, Windass is hard. Windass is very hard. I, I, I think you can't underestimate Gary Rowett. Him and his, him and his jumpers would take anyone on. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'd love to see Gary Rowett and Dean Windass fight, though. I don't endorse violence, but I, I've never seen two men who look more likely to have a scrap in a pub. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I guess. 
<laughs> right, it's now time for Who Knows Wins. This is our league where you can win money from correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. All you need to do is download the Who Knows Wins app and join our league. Guess the most correct results out of the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. So get your mates involved. Uh, this week, there was a £219 win pot and the winners were... Hang on a minute. Is that right? It says I won this week. Oh. oh well, that's a big shock. Um, the prize was split between me and Jack Pays. So well done, Jack. Me and you took home a very tidy £72. Uh, we got eight results right out of 12, which I'm very pleased about. Uh, Justin, you got five, which isn't too bad, in fairness. Not that good enough, just a, though. It's just about the, the average for the league, to be honest with you. So Yeah. Eight, eight results out of 12, though. You're going to give me a bit, a bit of praise for that? Absolutely not, because if I give you praise, your head's going to go ridiculously large, your ego's going to swell, I need to bring you down. Yeah, even bigger than it already is. <laughs> uh, there's an international break now, so you've got a couple of weeks to make sure you join our league. Justin, let's quickly rattle through how we think the next round of games will go. Coventry, Birmingham. Ooh, Coventry. I'm also going to go Coventry. Bournemouth, Reading. I'm going to go Bournemouth with this one. Yeah, same. Barnsley, Forest. I'm going to go draw. Same. Uh, Bristol City Derby. <laughs> going to go Bristol City. Yep, same. Luton Blackburn. Who? Luton Blackburn. I thought said Leeds. Black Blackburn. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to go Blackburn. We don't usually agree this much. Uh, Middlesbrough, Norwich. Uh, I'm going to go draw. I'm going to go Middlesbrough. There you Ooh. go. Uh, Millwall, Cardiff. Millwall. I'm going to go Cardiff. Preston, Wednesday. Preston. Draw QPR Watford. Watford. Watford for me as well. Stoke Huddersfield. Stoke. Yeah, ditto. Swansea Rotherham. Swansea. And Wickham Brentford. You know what? I'm going to go draw. Ooh, he's called it. He has called it. I'm not sure many people will agree with you there, but I'll go Brentford. Uh, so that's Who Knows Wins. Make sure you join our league to win some big prizes. Uh, the league might not be up yet, but download the app and keep an eye out for it over the coming days. Right, now it's time for this. It's time for the news. We'll start with Wednesday's points deduction, which has been halved from 12 points to six. The club appealed against the penalty, which was to do with the sale of their stadium. Uh, Wednesday actually wanted the penalty taken away entirely, but that was rejected. Uh, good news for Wednesday. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of news that's going to rejuvenate the team. You know, we saw it came in midweek as they won. So, and obviously it's another result this weekend. So, confidence-wise, it's going to give them a boost because it puts them ahead of Derby. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the points deduction actually might have played a part with Wednesday's transfer dealings in the summer. Because yeah. I think a lot of players would have looked at that and thought, oh, well, I don't really want to go there. Uh, mm. So, it's a bit late for them on that front. But hopefully, this gets them going and sees them head towards safety. Uh, the EFL have approved Derby's takeover by Sheikh Khaled bin Zayed El Nahin. I've, well I've absolutely butchered that. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't I know just, that's right. just well done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems to be a matter of time before it's announced now. But Justin, it seems to be the end of an era for Derby, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and uh, and thank God, it's needed. It it really is needed. I think for the last three seasons, Derby have been underperforming. They've they've seemed to have outran their predicted finish under under Lampard, mainly because of Harry Wilson scoring shrig, uh, screamers. And last season, they probably finished one or two places higher than they should have. Um, and and what was done about it? What was done about the the, the underperforming? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. Um, but they're in this position because of one man, and it's not Philip Koku. It's Mel Morris. It's you know negligent spending in the playing squad um, has pushed it almost to the brink. Koku, it should be said, doesn't pick the players that the club buys, um, and no way would he sign off on players like Ben Hamer and Jamie Patterson on loan. They were third and fourth choices. Um, and as I say, after reducing spending in the squad, Mel Morris should have put the right people in charge on a football level. He didn't. They don't. They haven't identified talent, and when they you know when they brought the talent in. They've gone. Jack Marriott, Josef Soon, Scott Malone, all all now out of the club. Uh, and and when there has been investment, you know, to give Morris some credit, he has put money into the club. It's just been in the wrong places. You look at Christian Bielik, eight million pounds on a central defensive midfielder that could have gone in two or three positions. And as I say, after that underperforming under Lapard, bringing in Koku, you've got to back him. They didn't. Uh, and as well as that, they released Martin and Huston uh, because the club couldn't afford to offer terms because of a soft embargo in the summer. They need them players now. The decision-making at the top level has put Derby in this position. The, the Morris tenure for me will be remembered for the club being dragged through the mud, the stadium being sold, and amortisation. And that, that's his legacy. The team's rock bottom in the Championship and on course for relegation. Well, there you go. And I, I think you can't disagree too much with that. There will be Derby fans who disagree with that because Mel Morris is idolised amongst Derby fans. But I don't think too many people can deny that even though he clearly loves the club because he is a Derby fan and he's put his money where his mouth is in terms of putting it towards the squad, it's not been spent well, as it? And I think there might be a case of he's got the wrong people around him mm-hmm. um, when it comes to spending that money. Uh, but sticking with Derby and their manager, Philip Cocky, has tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, Mel Morris, the club chairman, is also amongst those who has tested positive. Weird, really, that Philip Cocky's last game at Pride Park might have been and gone because obviously he wasn't in the dugout against Barnsley yesterday and that might very well be it if he is sacked uh, transfer news now Justin and Stuart Downing has returned to Blackburn weird situation with him Ryan from Rovers Chat was just speaking about it a minute ago but uh, it's bizarre that they didn't re-sign him as soon as possible earlier on in the summer uh, former Forest and Reading midfielder Gareth McCleary has gone to Wickham until the end of the season he was a free agent former Sunderland winger Duncan Watmore has joined Middlesbrough very interested to see how that one goes because he was being tipped for big things as a youngster yeah. uh, but has had a few bad injuries which ultimately led to him being released uh, but Warnock's obviously seen something in him uh, away from transfers EFL pundit Danny Higginbottom has left Sky Sports to work in America uh, quite sad I've seen plenty of people saying he's the best EFL pundit would you agree with that Justin? No definitely and you'd argue he's one of the best pundits in the UK to be honest with you he speaks a lot of sense we spoke to Danny Higginbottom in a second tier meets not too long ago really nice guy so give that a listen if uh, you have a chance Uh, Stoke are now offering a virtual mascot package Justin obviously they can't do it in person at the moment so Stoke are improvising amongst the things included are a kit access to watch the match and you can also watch the players before the match on zoom guess how much it costs more than 75 quid i imagine 125 pounds that's a joke i mean it's not like people are people's pockets are a bit tighter because of the 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 pandemic and whatnot well 125 pounds seems steep 
for a normal mascot package, but doing it virtually is that is scandalous. And uh, finally, Mick McCarthy has gone to Apparel Nicosia in Cyprus. Bit sad about that because I really think Mick McCarthy should have got a job back in English football by now. Do you agree? Um- I do, I do agree. I definitely do agree. I definitely would have had him at Derby as well, so he should have waited an extra an extra week and a half. Um, and as well as that, we lose another really good Sky Sports pundit for the for the EFL. Devastating and it's been week. Yeah. McCarthy with his incredibly dry humour. You love to see it. Uh, but quite sad that he's gone. Hopefully he just come back to English football because he's a good manager at this level. I know he's someone who gets the Mickey taken out of him because he's you know oh Mick McCarthy, but. At the same time, he is a very good footballing mind. And gets results. And he gets results, as we saw. But he, he was only able to switch one in, despite having nothing to spend on the squad. He managed to keep them up for numerous years and then he got relegated straight away. Uh, right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give you three questions on Twitter that we want your input on. Uh, so the first question we asked was, will Derby get relegated? Justin, yes or no? I mean the heart says no but yes they will get relegated you're so cynical um, 36% say yes 64% said no so people still think that's unlikely this season mm. although I've seen the bookies have got Derby's second favourites to go down at the moment uh, which of these players would you rather have in your team David Brooks Emmy Brandia, or Ismail Assar I'm going to go with David Brooks it's a tricky one I'd probably go Saar personally. Brooks got 23%, Brendia got 31%, Ismenasar got 46%. Mm. So uh, there you go. And when you're in the shower, which part of your body do you start with? Stomach, shoulders, armpits or other? Which one do you go with, Justin? <laughs> I, I hit the shoulders first. I go with my stomach first. 20% said stomach, 17% said shoulders, 38% said armpits. So maybe we've been doing it wrong this whole time. Uh, other people said they go for hair first. Hair first when you're having a shower. No, I'm not having that. To be fair, it's the first thing the water hits. Yeah, but I always leave my hair till last. I actually no. I always stick shampoo in it first. I should have considered that. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. There you go. That's the polls. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast and Ben Valley from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Johnny, you're one of the few people who have actually won at this game. Are you confident you can stay unbeaten? I hope so. I hope so. I don't know how I got away with it last time. I was very, very lucky, but I'll take it. Ben, you told me yesterday you were scared about playing Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Is that still the case? I think that Johnny's confidence is misplaced. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I, I know that you've had uh, Benjamin <laughs> Bloom on the pub before, who's a championship expert. I barely know anything about Stoke before 2010, so good luck, lads. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so I'm going to ask the chaps here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to work together, all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight unique second names of clubs in the championship, and Justin would say, North Ends, that's one down. And Ben would say Forest, that's another down. But if Johnny would say City, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So the question is, since 2015, there have been eight foreign managers who have won promotion from the championship. Can you name all eight? 
I feel like this is a tricky question, but we'll go with it anyway. Uh, Justin, we'll start off with you. Can you name me a foreign manager who has won promotion from the championship since 2015? Are we so non-UK? So we can count Irish? No, we're not counting Irish. Uh, I don't think an Irish manager is... Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, we're not counting that. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it out of Johnny's hands. I'll go with Karanka. Karanka is on there. That's horrible. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ben, you could go next. Can you name me a foreign manager who's won promotion from the championship since 2015? Norwich manager's name is coming into my head very, very, very slowly. Probably too slowly. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of who's been promoted. We'll have, have to push you for an answer. Oh. Fulham. The no, no, I'm out. I can't. I can't yeah. even. That's really disappointing. Sorry, lads. It's the pressure. The pressure of Simon Grayson's hateful eight is too much for some people. It's completely understandable. Uh, Johnny, can you name me a, another manager who is um, fun and has got da- promoted? David Wagner from. David Wagner. Good shot. <gasps> he won it with Huddersfield in 2017. Justin, another one, please. Uh, Bielsa. Marcello Bielsa, of mm-hmm. course, with Leeds last season. Uh, Johnny. Uh, Nuno from Wolves yes you're flying boys you got four uh, and you just need four more just in another one please Daniel Farker which is one Ben was trying to get Daniel Farker yeah Johnny another one I went up last year Uh, I went up up last last year it was Leeds Fulham and West Brom won it Um, oh Slavan Bilic there you go Slavin Bilic, of course, with West Brom last season. That means you've got two left. Justin, can you name another one, please? Slavisa Jakanovic. Yes, the only foreign manager to have been promoted twice with Fulham and Watford. Last one. Can you nail the last one, Johnny? I'm trying to think who's went up over like the years, isn't it? Yep. Uh... Uh, from Justin's face, he's struggling a bit as well. <laughs> I am a bit. <sighs> this one is tricky. Who got Villa, Villa up? No, it was Dean Smith, won it? Mm, he's not foreign. I wish he was. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. You have to push it. Who was the whole manager? Because then they got the other one. <gasps> got five seconds. Oh, I don't know. Who was the whole manager? You've got time. You've run out of time. Johnny is out. So it's down to Justin. Justin, do you know the final manager who's foreign and has won promotion from the championship since 2015? I've got a Scooby. Um, uh, no, not Wednesday. Um, What's the hall manager on it? The hall manager? Yeah. Steve Bruce. He's, he's from Newcastle, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's foreign, definitely, right? <laughs> Justin, uh, are you giving oh, up? Oh, man. Um... No, I'm done. Another group of players have fallen foul of and Tate for late. It's weird that you mentioned Newcastle because it oh. was Newcastle. Rafa Benitez oh, Rafa, in 2017. Yeah. yeah, the final one, lads. It's very disappointing. That's awful because I knew the clubs, but I didn't know the managers. I, yeah. I don't know why, but I instantly thought with Newcastle, I thought Chris Hewton was straight out. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. I completely. You forget Rafa was in the championship, don't you? Yeah. Lads, you failed at Sam Grayson's hateful eight. Johnny, your unbeaten streak is over. How do you feel? Devastated. I want to sleep tonight. (laughs) 
well, it's the international break next week, so there won't be a normal episode next Sunday. We'll be back again in a fortnight. In the meantime, we're providing you with three second-tier meets, two with former players and another with someone from the world of football. The first one will be out on Thursday, so make sure you tune in then. Apart from that, Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown. Thank you for your time today. No worries, man. Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, The YYY Files. Thank you for your time today. Nice one, lads. Thanks for having me. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll speak again soon. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. 